even any, any of you that have been around the church for a little while, as soon as Diane played those first keys, you say, I know it's coming. You could feel that Lord's Prayer coming. And, and, and we start our series with that because the Lord's Prayer is one of the staples of Christian belief. The Lord's Prayer is to Christianity as is milk to your refrigerator. It's something you don't want to go anywhere without. You want to have those staples in your prayers. As a matter of fact, I know a few months ago, this is true, a few months ago, Keith and I started to rotate the Lord's Prayer out of our service, and holy goodness sake, did you guys let us know? We need the Lord's Prayer. Because we feel that that's part of our worship. It's an important part of us to have the Lord's Prayer. And we think even, those of us who come to worship, we think that everyone knows the Lord's Prayer. And so we should say it together. But I want to tell you, as, as a pastor, not everyone. I mean, I'm in a culture where 17% of the people come to worship on a week. And so I want to tell you for sure that not everyone knows this prayer by heart. Not even everyone always in the church knows this by heart. I remember being out in this hallway out here a few years ago before confirmation. It was about this time of year, and one of our rising seventh graders came up to me and said, Pastor Mike, Pastor Mike, is this the year we get to learn that prayer? I said, what prayer? He says, that prayer that we say every week in church. I said, what prayer? He says, you know, the one that starts like our father, blah, blah, blah. I said, the Lord's Prayer? He says, yeah, that prayer. Is this the year we get to learn it? And I'm like, you betcha. For me, it was astonishing, you know, that someone that had been raised 12 years or so in the church didn't know our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But he did not, and he was so excited that he got to become part of us by learning that. See, it's one of our staples. And I tell you, though, I go, I go places all the time. You know, um, Pastor Keith and I and Vicki oftentimes are called to do funerals. You know, we're the Methodists, so we, we love serving our world and our community. And sometimes there's people that just don't have a church home. But they want a Christian funeral, a Christian burial. And so we go out to the, the funeral home and we'll perform their funerals. And not too long ago, I was out at one of our funeral homes here. And I got that part in the, in the Methodist liturgy. You know, you can ask me to go anywhere. And I'm a Methodist pastor. And I'm, in flex, I'm, I'm flexible. But when I do a funeral, Methodist is the way we're going, okay? And so I got to that part of the Methodist funeral liturgy where you say the Lord's Prayer. And I began at Our Father Who Art in Heaven. And no one joined in. Not because they did not want to, but because they did not know it. And of course, that strikes panic in your heart. If you've ever been to most pulpits, right, right here on the pulpit, and it used to be in this one too, it is taped the Lord's Prayer. Because humans say it, sometimes we get nervous. We say, our, you know, our Father who art in heaven, glory be forever and ever. None. That's not the right one, Pastor Mike. And so I started saying it in front of this. I, I was leading this congregation at the funeral. I was like, and oh my goodness, instead of just praying it, I was thinking, do I really know this prayer? Do I know the right I've said it thousands of times in my life. But not everyone knows it. I had a wedding here just last summer. The bride was from our, fam- our church family. And, and as we got to that part of the Methodist liturgy, I said, our father. And they all started in. And about three people over here did. Because they simply didn't know it. They just didn't know the prayer. And so we can't think to ourselves that everyone knows it. And I will also say that everyone that knows the words and can say them in the proper order doesn't necessarily focus in on their meaning. I know we get nervous sometimes. I had one of our confirmation students lead worship a handful of years ago. And I said, when it gets to the Lord's Prayer, don't worry. All you got to do is get the first two words right. And the congregation will take you through. And just bless her heart. She got right up here. And she said, now for the Lord's Prayer, dear God. But, of course, you bailed her out, as is your passion and your concern. So we know the Lord's Prayer. 
We know the words it says. We can say them in our hearts. But what I want to talk about today and what I want to talk about and guide you to today is understanding and to a deeper level the Lord's Prayer and really focusing in, just as Pat said on that one phrase, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The Lord's Prayer, you see, is an expression of faith, not only in what it says, but in what it assumes. And it assumes people pray. When Jesus shares the Lord's Prayer with the disciples, he doesn't say, hey, you guys got to learn how to pray. He says, when you pray, say this. When you pray, not if you'll ever pray or you should pray. He says, when you pray, it assumes people pray. Now, let's, we're going to pitch a tent. Keith and I are going to pitch a tent here on the Lord's Prayer. And I want you to listen for it. Listen to it for a minute. Not say it, unlike those stories I just gave you. Just listen to it. And I want you to work for, listen to the thys and the uses. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That's the Lord's Prayer, and I want you to know that that's what we call it. The Lord's Prayer is not referred to in Scripture as the Lord's Prayer. Now, you might have bought a new international version of the Bible or something like that, that right before you know, Luke 11 or Matthew 6, depending on what, what gospel you're reading, it might say the Lord's Prayer. But in Scripture, the Lord's Prayer is not referred to as the Lord's Prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer, and we recite it in worship as the Lord's Prayer because Jesus gave it to his disciples as a template for public and private prayers. Now, when he says, when you pray, pray like this, it's not certain to us, so we do both. It's not certain whether he's talking about the message, which is say these words, or the methodology, which is say them this way, honor God first, go to your petition second. So we use it as a template both ways. We say the words, and we also use the methodology. Because as you see, half the prayer is about honoring God. The other half of the prayer is about our own concerns. Spiritual concerns like lead us not in temptation, forgive us our sins, or temporal concerns. Give us this day our daily bread. So, so half the prayer is in honor of God, lifting ourselves up to God. And the other portion of the prayer is petitioning and, and appealing to God. So the method of this prayer teaches us first things first. First things first. And the first thing that we're to do in prayer is seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek that first. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then to hope that other things can be added. Now what this prayer is not is not a holy incantation. It is not a magic potion prayer that's to be mumbled over and over again. That renders it ineffective. This is my second reference to Summer Games. During my talk on Wednesday night, which was the night of the crucifixion, I spoke to the kids and I told them this. I said, you can go to any church anywhere in North America and you can say, why is the cross hanging in the front of the sanctuary? What is the purpose of the cross? And anyone there will say, Jesus died for our sins. You say, why did Jesus die? He died to save us from our sins. I said, you know, you can do that where you go into a church and sometimes after a while you say, why did Jesus die? He died to save us from our sins. Why did he die? He died to save us from our sins. Why did Jesus die? He died to save us from our sins. He died to save us from our sins. And it becomes this mechanical thing where people just say, he died to save us from our sins. Well, what does that mean? Well, he died to save us from our sins. Well, what does that mean? He died to save us from our sins. 
but what does it mean? See, I aim today to help you not only see and hear what you pray, but to know of that which you do pray. The same as when I teach the incarnation of Jesus Christ to you or to students, I aim for them to know what the incarnation means and what he saves us from and what he saves us to. That's important for us. So we need to know as we start this six-week series, we need to know of what we pray. So we start this prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We say, hallowed be thy name. Why do we use the word hallowed? I'm going to do a little Methodist quiz today. You know, that means, I'm actually going to challenge you. I'm going to ask you to go past the Methodist raising of your hand, and we're going to go on a full-out Baptist. If I ask you, just go right up there, okay? I'm not going to ask you to go Assembly of God, just Baptist, okay? All right? Okay? Just, so I want you to raise your hand if this is true for you. During the last week, outside of your recitation of the Lord's Prayer, how many of you have used the word, raise them high, if you've used the word hallowed in a sentence? Why? Because it's a really old word. We have found other words to use in its place everywhere in our language except in this Lord's Prayer. Not only that, if you look at all the Lord's Prayers, the versions that are in our hymnal, they've all been, you know, manipulated a little bit over the years. They've added debts and replaced debts with sins and sins with trespasses. We've made other words that would modernize the Lord's Prayer in a lot of different ways, but not this one. Do you know why we haven't removed hallowed, why we haven't exchanged it for another? Because we can't find a better one. We cannot find a better word than hallowed. Because the first petition of the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed by thy their name, has the purpose to guide and direct our prayers to the right target, which is hallowing God's name. That's the bullseye to which we pray. When we say hallowed, we don't mean anything. We mean something significant. When we say hallowed be thy name, we say in heaven and earth, in all of creation, in all the universe, there is none like you. There is nothing that can compare to you. You are above all other things. You are the king of kings, the lord of lords. You're the master of the universe. You're everything. There is nothing like you. There is none like you. You're above everything. So we say hallow to honor as holy because hallow simply means to honor as holy. So we use that word because it's so different to us. So that when we say it, something triggers within us to say, let's go holy here. Let's go to a place that is holy. See, because I want to tell you some stuff about God that you probably already know. But holy is not one attribute among the many attributes of God. God has many attributes. He's loving, he's caring, he's creating, he's all, kind, all those kind of things. But holy is not one amongst the many attributes of God. Holy is the center core, the ultimate reality of God, out of which all attributes flow. All the attributes of God's perfection flows from the fact that God is completely and utterly holy. There is none like him. He is holy. So the ultimate target of our prayer, the ultimate target of all of our prayers, is that God might be glorified, and all of our other requests are in subordination to that. They're secondary to the fact that we're glorifying God, that we're saying and claiming that God is holy. And we give God glory as our adoration. Now, it's as simple as this. You know, I watch Pastor Keith up here with his little cute 11-point font on his papers. You know, I'm, I'm rocking the 16-point font today, and I still want to magnify it. I get out the 1095 Walgreens magnifiers 
all the time so that the print can be magnified to me. And I tell you that because what we're trying to do in our prayers, when we aim our prayers at hallowed be thy name, we're trying to magnify the name of the Lord in our hearts. We're trying to, God doesn't get bigger, but his place for us gets in, in the place in our hearts gets bigger, which means some other stuff gets moved to the side. When we glorify God, when we magnify God, God's holiness and his perfections fill more of us than all the stuff that we bring to the table. Our, God, our prayers to our God, the holy and hallowed God, begin with praising him because first in our prayers, God should be served. God should be served first, not us. God should be first served in our prayers first, and we should give glory to God before we expect any mercy or grace to pour from him onto our lives. Now, these are not a mechanical set of steps. See, praise is first because it frames. It sets the context for our prayers in life. If we praise God first, it sets the context the frame of our of our lives and we can live in the middle of that because if we frame our prayers you know with praise then everything else that god does will work out for the benefit and glory of him which of course will be useful to us now i'm going to say something and this might be the sentence you want to write down because it's a tough one and it's a tough one to pronounce all the problems you have in relation to the world and self are problems of adoration that is a bold claim all the problems that you have in relation to the world and self are problems of adoration. And this is what I mean by that. If you hallow anything more than God, if you count as holy anything more than God, whether it's job, family, whatever, if you hallow anything more than you hallow God, the problems are going to show up. They're going to show up in your petitions. When you kneel down to pray, you're going to say, God, I have needs. I have needs. I have needs. I need. Me, 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 me. Help me, God. And they're also going to, going to fall into your confessions. Not only will your petitions be filled with, I have needs, your confessions are going to be like, God, I have problems. I have problems. I have problems. I have problems. Now, <clears throat> we have to move many things out of the hallowed place in our heart. Because if we magnify God, some of those things need to push themselves out. And if we fill ourselves with the hallowing of God, if we, if we live in the hallowed place of God, and we live our lives out of the hallowed place of God, we move adoration to the front page of our life, we'll move our concerns to the second place, and then we can trust God with our problems. Once we put God first, we can trust God with our problems. Let's look into this a little bit deeper. See, God allows us to have most everything. And yet, we don't completely and fully trust him. Do you understand that? God allows us to have most everything, yet we don't trust him. Because we don't always get what we want. <clears throat> there has never been a time in my life when I have not wanted what I want, right? Have you ever had that time where you didn't want what you want? No, it's silly to even think of such a thing. But the fact of the matter is, we don't always trust God because we don't always get what we want. So a lot of people in my generation and your generation and the generations that follow us see God like this. Imagine this, a word picture. Imagine a father who takes a six-year-old child to the most glorious toy store ever created. And he says to him, son, 
I want you to find that toy, that one toy, the thing that is your heart's desire, your heart's longing, the thing that you've wanted that will be wonderful and you will love forever and ever. I want you to show that to me. And the kid spends an hour finding the toy, that one toy, the greatest thing that's ever going to be done and all that. And he says, Daddy, I want to show you this. He says, this is it. This is the toy, Daddy. This is what I want. This is the thing that will make me happy. This is the thing where I will spend lots of my time and I will enjoy it greatly. And we look at God as if a God hears that request and says to the child, listen, you will never have that. You will never, ever have that. And I will spend all of my life making sure that you do not have this thing you want because I am the Lord. A lot of us feel that way, that God spends his time making sure we do not get that which we want. Never do we get anything good. Listen. Let's be cautious here. What do you think? Let's, let's just play with this for a minute. If you took a five-year-old and gave them everything they wanted, what do you suspect their lifespan might be? Six o'clock tonight? Eight o'clock? Maybe? I don't think they live through the day. I'm going to jump off the balcony because it looks cool. I'm going to drive my dad's car because it looks cool. I'm going to light matches at Casey's, see what goes on. Now, I've been working with junior high and high school students for a long time. What, what about a 15-year-old? The 15-year-olds have a lot more discernment, right? They're smarter. I'm not going to say that a 15-year-old would, if we gave them everything they wanted, would be dead by the end of the day. But by the end of the month, it's likely. Just let them do whatever they want. Now, I'm not going to say that any of the rest of us are any better, but there's an awful lot of times that God lovingly denies us of things for our own good. See, because that's, that's the whole point. When we say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, we're saying, holy God, you're the one that knows all. So God lovingly denies and lovingly gives. God does not just deny, he also gives. So God lovingly denies and he also gives because God's ultimate concern is for you. It's always been for you. And this is how you see God's love. And the more you see God's love, the more his glory becomes evident to you and to others. And the more you see God's glory, the more you see his love and the more his love means to you. You see, his fatherliness, when seen through his love, makes his heavenliness less intimidating. And his heavenliness makes his fatherliness not just comforting, but absolutely liberating for your and my spirit and soul. Let let me give you an example. Mark Atwater was at Summer Games this week, and uh, he's a college football player at Coe. A year or so ago, he was the high school football player of the year in Iowa. He is strong, okay? Now, I'm an old man. I'm not as strong. But we put 80 pounds of these chains on Mark. This is probably about 30, maybe, maybe a little less. We put 80 pounds of chain on Mark. That's a fifth grader, right? And made him carry it around all week long. When Mark left, he could barely lift one of his arms. He had bruises from here to there, all for the glory of God so that he might show those students in living color that we put chains on ourselves, chains called temptation. Chains called depression. Chains called anorexia, eating disorders. Chains called, you know, pornography. Chains that some others put on us. And all these chains that are put on us, when Christ goes to the cross, he sets them free. He takes them off of us. 
and we can live an unleashed life, an unchained life. Now, we use that example, and Mark was so wonderful to do that for us, to show us that God's love sets us free. Hallowed be his name. And not only does God's love set us free, but his might and his power enforces that freedom and makes sure we do not lose it. Hallowed be his name. Do you not adore that which sets you free? You know, a few weeks ago we were in here and we had flags shoved everywhere in this sanctuary. We had Boy Scouts. And one by one, we venerated and commemorated those veterans that we had in this congregation. They came to a microphone and announced their name. We said a prayer for those that had fallen in in battle because we adore the liberties and freedoms that the United States have, and we adore and venerate those who have given us those freedoms. The Lord God Almighty has given us freedom to live our lives. He doesn't give us everything we want, but he does give us anything that we need. We are to adore that which sets us free because adoration melts away our distorted view of, the se- of ourselves and the world. If, if our problems revolve around an adoration problems, then the solution, obviously, is in adoration. See, if you can't praise God, you can't praise anything. You know, if you can't praise God, you come to this worship service and you say, everything was terrible, it was awful in there. That kid that sang, he was terrible. Preacher, he just talked a long time. That kid with the long hair that read the scriptures, awful. You know, he's got the Mr. Magoo glasses on. I don't know what that's all about, right? Actually, what are those glasses all about? Seriously, can somebody help me out? Okay, I thought so. All right. But anyway, love the kid. The, um, but we'll say that about all of life, not just worship. If we can't adore God, we're going to say everything in life is terrible. We're going to say things at our grocery store is horrible, things at our workplace is horrible, things at our schools, things in our home. Everything's going to be terrible because we can't praise God, we can't adore Him in our lives because adoration, you see, heals our hearts. It heals in our hearts the thought that because God does not allow us to have everything, that he doesn't want us to have anything. And it allows us to accept ourselves as we are. See, I've told students for a long time, and I've told you too, there's three people living within us. Number one is that person we want everybody else to see. Amen? Number two is that person we want to be. And number three is that person we really are. And if we adore God... That person that we really are becomes acceptable to us. And we can accept ourselves as a person of infinite value and worth to God. And it's only through adoration that we get there. And adoration enables us to see the world as it is and to have hope. You see, we had a a talk here at the beginning of our service where I told you that 400 students in our community don't have enough money to get school supplies. How can that be? We, we feed lunch to every day to several hundred students that don't have enough money to get lunch or their families can't feed them. How can that be in our community? We have all kinds of agencies that are helping people with all kinds of things. And we say, is there any hope in this world? And if we are adoring God, we say, not only is there hope, there's a solution. Because adoration enables us to see hope in the world and move then to faithful action. Pat read through those crazy glasses a few moments ago, these two scriptures. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then he read, keep my commands and follow them. For I am the Lord. Do not profane my holy name, for I must be acknowledged as holy by the Israelites. I am the Lord who made you holy. So that brings us to this. We are to hallow the Lord God, the name of the Lord, 
when we keep our command, his commandments. And we profane, we profane the name of God when we break his commandments. We, we honor the name of our parents by simply keeping that name and honoring it in our lives. You know, a handful of years ago, some of you might have known my pop, my dad Lowell, died in 2006. His funeral was in this church because it was his home base, spiritually. It was kind of an interesting day at his funeral. Of course, the church was jammed full with some people that really liked him and stuff like that. And we sang the first hymn, and it just came out like it was shot out of a bullhorn. And I'm like, oh my goodness sake, who's in the choir loft? Because there were these giant voices coming out of the choir loft. And I turned around from the front place, you know, where we always shove families at funerals. And I turned around, and there are 20 of my colleagues, pastors. And we're worship geeks. We are. We love sing- I mean, I don't have to sing good. I'm going to sing loud, though, right? And they are singing loud, and they are praising God. And I'm like, holy cow, there's 20 of my pastoral colleagues up there, and they don't even know who Lowell is. And I asked Harlan Gillespie a few weeks later, I said, Harlan, I really appreciate you guys coming, but, but why? And he said, Mike, because we've known you, and when you utter that man's name, when you speak of Lowell, there is this honor that comes out of your mouth that even though we didn't know, we wanted to be a part of. We honor the names of our parents by just honoring them and who they are. You know, how can, how can we not honor our Heavenly Father in, in, in a greater magnitude, in a, in a greater glory? We honor the name by keeping it holy, by keeping it right, and we honor our God by keeping His statutes. I know when I was a kid, we honor our parents by keeping their statutes. You guys hearing this? You summer games people? You, we honor our parents by keeping their statutes. I was that guy in high school that had the earliest curfew ever. Did you guys all have the earliest curfew ever? Raise your hand. You have the earliest curfew? I seriously did. When I was in high school, <clears throat> Friday nights, I had to be home at 9. I mean, seriously, I went to my coach at the football game once, halftime. Coach, I got to go. It's curfew. I got to go. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> it was like 11 o'clock or midnight. Midnight, my, freshman, my senior year in high school, 12 o'clock. Nobody in town had a 12 o'clock curfew as far as I thought. I mean, I actually probably all my friends did. But I remember thinking to myself, I'm not going to be late because Lowell told me be home by midnight. And that didn't mean pull up outside. It meant be in the home by midnight. And I never, ever broke curfew, partially because I want to honor his leadership. And secondly, I was terrified. I didn't know what might become of young Mike if I had broken curfew. But I always followed. <laughs> Some of you know dad are laughing right now. <laughs> so, so, but in retrospect, I look back at that, and not only was I able to honor him by keeping his statutes, but I received the joy of obedience. I became bigger. I became wider because of that. God, that, that, that God blessed me by having that father. And that's simply by hallowing the statutes of my earthly father. And we're to hallow God's name and his name by, by uttering it correctly and, of course, by keeping his statutes with our lips. You know, let every word that flows from your mouth be, be praise-filled, be, be God-inspired, be useful for the building up of other human beings. In our thoughts, you know, we're to be hallowing God's name so that those thoughts of evil and difficulty that are suppressed, those thoughts of anger and, and, and hurtfulness are pushed off to the side. We're supposed to honor and hallow God's name in, in our families, whether it's brother to brother, sister to sister, mother to father, mother to you know, and daughter, all those kind of things. We're to hallow God's name by how we treat each other. Uh, the other children in, in God's community, and we're to hallow God's name, honestly, in the things that we spend our whole days doing. In our workplaces, we're to keep one eye on what we're doing and one eye on the Lord. 
Now, I'm not talking about the fact that you're supposed to be, you know, working on some metal lathe and going, praise the Lord. Watch I'm talking about honoring God by doing the very best you can and by honoring your employers and by, by keeping the statutes and, and showing the others around you that there's more to you than just this simple task, but that God has given you uh, something that's great and it's hope. And, and so when we say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, the call is to adore God and to serve him with our adoration and our praise. Let's pray. God, you give us everything, everything we need. You don't just give us anything. You give us the best things. And for that, we honor and praise you. Lord God, as our worship comes now towards its conclusion, we ask that we go forward to serve you with your name in our lips and your uh, holiness in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, my name is Mary Hefley, and I consider it a privilege to financially support FUMC. My family has a great chance here to grow closer to Christ. There are so many opportunities to be blessed here at FUMC through teachings, programs, ministries, and a great church family. We are encouraged to take on responsibilities here that strengthen our faith, and by doing these things, we feel that we are able to live the life that God wants for us. Would you please join me in the commitment to financially support FUMC. Will the ushers please come forward? <laughs>